0: This is Jim Pruitt, and you listen to another episode of the Farm So Hard Podcast. So I farm so hard, the employees want to find me, and then want to hire me. What's 100k to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never want to see another B unless I'm Jay Z. Farm so hard, let's get paid. Let's get paid. What's good, fam? Welcome to the Farm Soul Heart podcast. This is your host, Jim Pruitt, AKA Farm D and ED, and I have another special episode for you guys today. This is going to be for all of my EM pharmacists and all of my physician staffs that appreciate your ED pharmacists. Today, we're going to talk about. One of the biggest projects that led to the expansion of ED Clinical Pharmacy Services, and I have some of the most impactful people within ED. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce, let our, our guests introduce themselves. So Tara, can you go ahead and start off with Jim? Sure, my name is
1: Terry Fairbanks, and I am the Chief Quality and Safety Officer and Vice President at MedStar Health in the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Maryland region. And I'm an emergency physician at the MedStar Washington Hospital Center in Washington, D.C. I'm the founding director of the National Center for Human Factors in Healthcare as well.
0: Perfect.
2: I'm Nicola Quisto. I am a former emergency medicine clinical pharmacist um, at the University of Rochester Medical Center, and I've recently moved into a role um, of a clinical research pharmacist working for both the Department of Pharmacy and then an associate professor role um, with the the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Rochester as well.
0: And I would like to highlight you guys, along with Uh, Dan Hayes as the the, the founders of modern clinical pharmacy, clinical pharmacy services in the ED. So you guys probably won't take that credit, but I'm going to go ahead and say, as I did the research, there's tons of monumental people and you guys going to be on my Mount Rushmore of ED clinical pharmacy services. So I really want to jump into the EM pharmacy project. But before I get into that, Dr. Fairbanks, can you tell me What inspired you to actually study emergency medicine pharmacists? Because from what I remember, this was one of your first research projects when you got out of residency.
1: That's right, Jimmy. So it's a great story. Actually, I was, um, uh, as you may know, I I had a master's degree in safety engineering before I went to medical school. And I had been working in the aviation and other industry doing transportation research and safety. I was a private pilot, I was really into safety. Then I, I went to medical school, I went to University of Rochester for my residency, where I eventually met Nicole. Um, and I, I stayed there after residency to do an academic um, career. I wanted to be an academic emergency physician and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to study the application of safety engineering in healthcare. And so I sat down literally, this is a true story on my very first day as an attending, I sat down in my shared office. And I said, what am am I going to study if I want to do safety? And I really thought, what is the safest intervention in my environment? It is our emergency medicine pharmacists. Um, I really felt like through my residency, that is one of the most unique safety interventions that we had in our environment. And I wanted to share it with other people. So I called up Dan Hayes, literally. And I said, Dan, I want to write a paper about what you do Um, And we got that paper out pretty quickly. That was, I just looked it up before this meeting. It was 2004. Um, And you know, once you have a paper, you're thought to be an expert. So as soon as that came out, um, I wrote a grant application to AHRQ. um, And then the rest is history because we started studying what we already knew. And that is that the emergency pharmacists make us safer.
0: That is amazing. Uh, I really just, I think about that. And I remember some of my, my attendings now. And they're like, where where are you? As soon as I step in, hey, I was looking for you. We had this case come upon. And it's pretty cool to think that at one period of time, that wasn't necessarily the the standard. And it's pretty cool to think from an ED pharmacist standpoint that the number one safety intervention that someone thought about that wasn't a pharmacist was a pharmacist. So I think that's amazing. And I'm going to switch some of these questions up a little bit. And I wanna, I wanna just go into summarizing that project. And Dr. Furman, so you can start off with that, and then you can kind of let me know how this kind of fit in where, uh, when you came into this process, and really just expand amongst, amongst there. So I don't wanna have me talk too much, but I really wanna get into summarizing what this overall project was, the grant, and how it really impacted uh, pharmacy today.
1: Sure. Um, Well, I can start, Nikki, and then I can hand off to you because you were such a key part of it. Um, it, This was a grant um, that uh, it was a two-year grant that extended to three years uh, um, eventually, uh, where we did, we used the Harvard Medical Practice Study techniques that they had used to do the study that they did in the 90s. Um, that, w- that, that was the study that where they did retrospective chart review to identify safety issues in, in the care. We used those techniques um, and we did um, a cohort study uh, where we had, it was really a convenience sample based on our pharmacist there or pharmacist not there. Um, and we looked at the differences. Uh, and then as part of that, we had several other offshoot studies that we did. I think in the end, we had between 12 and 20 papers. Um, and Nicole has continued them at University of Rochester, even where, after I left there in 2010. Um, but we wanted to look at whether there were whether there was a decrease in adverse medication events uh, when the pharmacist wasn't there. And one of the interesting things that I think is... W- w- really important to acknowledge in having our pharmacists in the clinical environment was also, I think a downfall of that study uh, and and the study design. And that is that pharmacists don't make you smarter, even when they're there, they make you smarter all the time. And what, what I found is that our pharmacists in that environment would come up to us regularly and say, Hey, Terry, I noticed that you ordered X on this patient. I think you could should consider this medication instead, and here's why. Um, and and Dan and Nicole and their colleagues would often show up with a paper in their hand <laughs> saying, here's the paper that justifies this, you know, very academic about it. Um, and we would make that change. And then when we were there on a night shift or in a time when they happened to not be there, we would make the same smart decisions. Um, and so... The big study, the 11,000 people study that um, was a great study of medication adverse events showed a trend towards less adverse events when they weren't there, but it wasn't statistically significant. And as you know, um, big studies that are negative don't get published. So we never published the big study, but we published dozens of offshoots where we did side studies that really demonstrated significant difference. For example, Nicole, you can help me if I'm forgetting some of these. um, Time to the cath lab, um, because of all the quick medication things we had to do to prep, when the pharmacist was at the bedside, it was always faster. Another one that we studied that showed a major advantage was pain management and trauma. And, And I can just say anecdotally as well, the data demonstrated this, but anecdotally, when I was in the trauma bay, I wouldn't be thinking of pain medicine medication yet when one of our clinical pharmacists would say, come up to me and say, hey, Terry, I think we should give this patient 50 of fentanyl or whatever it might be. And I would say, absolutely. And the patient would have it. Nicole, I'll hand off to you. You can think of many of those um, other papers that we did during that study.
2: Well, I just have to say, Terry, I think it's funny that you just said 50 of fentanyl without the units. <laughs> know about our uh our errors <laughs> thank god you're here nicole yeah <laughs> <laughs> um no and then we we further continued that type of research you know as is um terry mentioned you know the difficulty with studying um the pharmacists there and not there within the same site is the the um the creep that happens of practice change with, with the pharmacist. Um, so, you know, maybe the, you know, the better way to study is the really true before and after, or between two different sites or things like that. But, you know, we were able to do, we did the MI study, um, we've done, you know, since then we've done pharmacists on rapid response. We've looked at pharmacists on the PE team recently. Um, we have looked at our culture follow-up program was an offshoot, um, from from our EM pharmacy program. And we looked at, um, you know, time to getting patients on appropriate therapy and time to review of antimicrobials, um, and so on and so forth. And Terry and Dan and and that um, study really springboarded our opportunity to get foundation funding for additional studies. um, And to really continue kind of that, um, continue that path of trying to show the benefit and and showing the benefit of the pharmacist in, in that setting really early on. I'll just add one thing.
1: One of my favorite papers out of this whole study is when we we surveyed all the nurses and physicians that worked. And this was a huge academic emergency department uh, with hundreds. Um, And um, we got one of the best survey responses you ever see in research. I think it was like in the high mid or high 80% response rate. And essentially, everybody said they valued the clinical pharmacist, felt it make them safer. They it, the, the questions were all completely affirmative. There, there was very little controversy over this. And I think that when you've got physicians and nurses that say, give me my clinical pharmacist, it makes me safer and better uh, Then you have a real winning, uh, winning program.
0: Yeah, that was, I mean, I remember looking at that prior and I remember there was one uh, not positive response to that. And it was just neutral. So it's like every 99% of people said they really enjoy us. And then it was like one person like, oh, they're okay, but, you know, <laughs> too much. Yeah. But, uh, Nicole, I just really want to see, because, like, again, you came in doing it the thick of this, and I wanted to figure out, you know, versus other people who you knew who were training at the same time, whether it's talks or any other way, how did this impact your training and how did it change how, how you train pharmacists through your time since then? Yeah. I mean,
2: um, so at that time when I um, started at the emergency or at the University of Rochester in the emergency department um, was 2007 when I was doing my residency training and I was at U of R um, for the year prior 2006. So I had some um, exposure to the emergency department at that time. But even in 2007, at the time of my training, there was only two residency programs in the country. Um, So it is, uh, you know, an interesting question to say, um, you know, what, what were your other residency colleagues doing, but there, there were no other residency colleagues at that time. Um, You know, I was lucky enough to, that the work that Dan and Terry were doing already really put, put us on the map for, for a gold standard for emergency medicine, clinical services. And I, um, became involved more uh, because I did stay on after my residency training, but as part of the patient care impact program that um, Terry and Dan did through ASHP, part of that was um, having uh, people that were were um, starting emergency medicine programs at their sites to come to the University of Rochester to shadow and and see our experiences. So very early on, I was able to, um, to meet a lot of people that were starting services, a lot of people that already had a lot of experience in critical care, infectious diseases or or other um, specialties and really kind of transforming their role into the emergency department. So From from that, um, you know, obviously the the exposure from from the grant um, and the networking that I was able to do with the with the people that we um, had on site that really um, springboarded, you know, my career. um, My career as an emergency medicine pharmacist and, you know, really was able to um, put me in a position to you know, it was slowly over the years to, to try to make a difference with expanding residency training um, on our own site and, you know, to help others do that um, and clinical services, you know, throughout our country. But also, you know, we've had um, people shadow from Australia and um, China and Spain, um, pharmacists that have come to our site to learn how to practice emergency medicine, clinical pharmacy. And and it really all offshoots from these paper, you know, the papers that um, that Terry talked about with the HRQ grant um, that really, you know, showed university of Rochester to be, to be the site, to go to, to, to learn these skills.
0: Yeah. I want to just go a little, a little deeper into that, because again, as you mentioned, there was two residency programs. And can you talk about some of the things that ha- happened when these people came to shadow? Was it additional things where they would do once they go back to their site? Cause we're talking close to 80 pharmacists, right? So this is going to, this is a huge undertaking because we got to think right now, we're we're just getting close to having 80 programs across the U.S. now. So this was getting done back in 2007. So can you just talk a little bit more about what happened when they came and what additional resources occurred for those pharmacists when they went back?
2: Yeah, I mean, I can talk a little bit more um, and then maybe Terry can talk about a little more about the patient care impact program and just kind of the, the continued resources throughout the year. And, you know, not every pharmacist came to our site, but we did have a lot of pharmacists that came to our site. And really, you know, it was just you know, it was more like a, a, it was more really a shadow experience. I mean, there, there was a lot of, you know, discussion about, um, you know, our involvement with, with committees and clinical initiatives and things like that, but really just seeing how the pharmacists interacted with the emergency medicine team and how you made interventions in that type of setting um, and how you worked with, you know, not only the emergency medicine providers and nurses, but the consult teams at the bedside and in pre-hospital services. And, you know, Terry um, didn't mention, but he was a medical director for um, EMS agency too. So Terry had a lot of um, focus on pre pre-hospital services. And therefore, you know, us early on as emergency medicine pharmacists had uh, uh, we were very much involved with pre-hospital services, both at the bedside and in an education role and in evaluating their protocols and, and things like that. Um, early on. So really um, just kind of seeing the depth that the, the emergency medicine pharmacist was able to be involved with at the bedside was really the best way to showcase what we were doing and making that connection so that then when they went back to their site that they had, you know, additional people to reach out to with, with questions or, or barriers that came up or, you know, how do, how do you navigate these types of things um, was really really what the experience was like. And then Terry can probably speak to more of just, you know, how the program over the year um, helped those pharmacists with growing their services. Um, yeah, thank you, Nicole. I give
1: a lot of credit to ASHP for uh, for several years dedicating resources to the patient care impact program uh, to develop emergency pharmacist programs. Um And Dan and I were the core of it, but there were a lot of other pioneering emergency pharmacists that were involved in helping with it. Uh, And it was a core curriculum that went from uh, one, the mid-year, can't remember if it started in mid-year and ended in summer or vice versa, but um, it started at one meeting where we all got together, uh, had in-person time, and then there was quite a bit of mentorship and meeting, structured meetings uh, during the period. And then it ended uh, with report outs at the end, including ever, everyone kind of gave a demonstration on what they had done as part of the the research posters. Um, and And so there was a lot of sharing of information. And what it became was like this community of support uh, for people that were starting programs. It allowed pharmacists who had not worked in the emergency medicine environment to really get um, get help with kind of understanding the environment. It also was a support environment in helping. Um, make changes internally that would um, allow the pharmacist to be more successful. We grappled with things like who should be doing the medication reconciliation and what what are the functions that the emergency pharmacists can, can be, you know, really highest yield in since they can't do everything. Uh, and it became like this really nice collaborative support group with uh, me and Dan as two of the central mentors, but we were not the only mentors. Uh, and uh, I... At the end, there were eighty or a hundred um, uh, pharmacists that went through this, with dozens of sites that stood up um, stood up emergency medicine pharmacist programs during this time.
0: It's amazing because I think it's just a springboard because it really capsulized all the work you guys have done to show people. If you look at any intervention, I think you guys looked at pneumonia and talked about correct antibiotics. You looked at pain for trauma. Looked at antibiotic time. All of these things that we look go back and look now. And uh, you had a paper that looked at all of the data up until now. It's pretty interesting to see that a lot of the study design, the questions that we asked originated with this original project. So I think it's amazing to, to see that and where it's led to. So from both of you guys, again, I want to just encapsulate this, this project before we talk about uh, more of what it's done today. Is there anything that we're missing as far if you had to tell someone you know, about this project and all the things that it was able to do? and how it led to that. Is it anything that we're missing as far as the, the impact of what you guys studied and what it's led to today?
2: You know, I think that we covered the, the program well, um, and kind of, you know, how that led to the patient care impact program and, you know, led into to other research.
0: Okay, okay. Be- sorry. I didn't,
2: sorry to put you on the spot, Nicole. I no, that's okay. I, I didn't think that we missed anything, I guess, with that discussion.
0: Okay. Perfect. And then I guess now we can talk from both of you guys about, uh, How do you expect emergency medicine training to to modify as it is today? I think you guys have seen things either from a medical side and from a pharmacy side of what we see, because I think now we're to the point to where ED pharmacy for major academic programs are pretty entrenched into the program. And how do you see that changing as we move forward?
2: Yeah, I can start with that. You know, I think that we're at the point now where the growth that we've seen um, with both emergency medicine, clinical pharmacists and the training, you know, I think that the next part is really trying to create this standard um, of practice so that, you know, emergency, an emergency medicine pharmacists from you know, this center is doing this type of center is doing the same type of role at another type of center. So that we're not having a you know one pharmacist doing med reconciliation and another pharmacist being involved in cardiac arrest. Um, I think we really need to we we really pushed hard with getting pharmacists into the emergency department. And we've obviously seen that growth with those practicing and with the the residency growth. And then I think the next step now is really creating that, what is the standard of practice? Um, And, you know, I think board certification can help us with that. I think coming up with, you know, quality measures and um, more outcomes-based research related to the pharmacist um, can really really help with that. you know, I, I it's impressive to see the growth of training and just you know it, it used to seem like a short period of time. I guess it seems like a little longer period of time now um, that we you know we almost have a hundred programs, um, but really you know really kind of elevating that standard and standardizing our role in the emergency department.
1: That's true. And I defer to both of you on kind of the details of where the education programs are now, because I know they've evolved quite a bit. Um, but I, I love that emergency medicine is so focused, because I think even years ago, when it was combined with critical care, it, it they're so different, even though there's so much overlapping knowledge, they are different environments. And, and I'm glad to see that we've left behind the days that we used to see that the named emergency department pharmacist would be in the pharmacy waiting for a phone call uh, to approve a medication, which which really, you're not getting any of the value of the clinical partner that emergency medicine pharmacists truly are at the bedside. Uh, I think we've largely left that behind.
0: That was great. And this is just one of the things I just really appreciate, just the fact that we've made something and we've now progressed with that based on the work that you guys have done. And I don't want to belabor that. The last question I had is just, did you expect that to lead to what it led to today as far as like the expansion of emergency medicine pharmacists, or is this like what well, this was the plan that you're happy to see what it what else would have become today?
2: I mean, I think this was the plan. Um and you know, it's I think at that time, I don't know, in hindsight, you know, it, it's 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 easy to say that was the plan, right? I mean it was in some degree. Um, but to see, you know, to see the actual growth and and just where emergency medicine pharmacy has gone and that, you know, we will be recognized as or you know, we are working towards being recognized as a a board certified um, group through a board of pharmacy specialties and and all of these types of things. And really, um, you know, paving our own path uh, is is really great. Um, I don't know if at that time, I think I was maybe naive or didn't really under, understand um, you know, how to get there or what that meant or what kind of growth there could be. Um, but it's really amazing, amazing to see. And it's because of physicians like Terry that supported the emergency medicine pharmacist and really believed that we were truly making a difference in patient outcomes and medication safety.
1: Well, I would say it's because of the quality and the high caliber knowledge base of the emergency pharmacist that we had <laughs> that really made the program successful. But um, I would say Any time I do research or applied work, I always want to have an impact. And certainly when I went into this, I wanted to impact the way the country thought about emergency medicine pharmacists. But did I anticipate that I would have a part and a small part that is there's many people around the country that have really moved this movement um, but did I think that we would see it this way 10 years later or 15 years later? I didn't think we'd be this far. So I'm really pleased about how ingrained this is across the country. And if if somebody's listening to this in an emergency department that doesn't have true clinical pharmacists alongside you at the bedside, uh, you're a step behind. <laughs>
0: Great. Well, I just thank you guys. So again, as, as I, I'm a true, I, I love emergency medicine as a specialty and I love being emergency medicine pharmacist because if I didn't find that, I would have had to find myself into school again to find something else. So this is truly something that is really made my life just for the better. So I thank both of you for the work you guys have done and I don't want to spend any any more time and I just want to close out and just thank everyone. I'm going to put all of the the research that you guys are primary authors on on the show notes so people can go and look that up. If you're a fan of emergency medicine, I believe we should look for our history uh, even if we start the founding of ACCP without like the Ellen ball, like you go all the way back to the seventies and see, this is a monumental project and, and all the research you guys have done. is great. So I'll put all of that there, but if you guys have any final thoughts, you can, you can say them now. Um, yeah, just super thankful.
1: Thanks, thank you, me. I, I would say I'm thankful to all the great emergency medicine pharmacists out there. I mean, just working alongside Nikki, Dan Hayes, and others, many other great ones who were who I've worked with over the years. It, they're always some of the smartest people in the emergency department, and that's why this is such a successful program.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, thank you guys, and we close it out. as I, I close out every episode? You don't have to be a pharmacist. You don't have to work in a D- ED, but everything you do, make sure you form so hard. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thank <music> you.